And then turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 16. And we will complete the reading of chapter 16, beginning at verse 26. love to comment on these verses, but I think I will just read them, and we'll pray that the Holy Spirit uh, imparts the wisdom of these verses to us, having heard them. A worker's appetite works, a worker's appetite works for him, his mouth urges him on. A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. Whoever winks with his eye plans dishonest things. He who purses his lips brings evil to pass. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. The lot is cast in the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Praise God. Lord, we're in the midst of reading the word, Proverbs 16, and and shortly the sermon text. So let's pray together. Lord, these words that we hear are not the words just of men, but they are words directed by your Holy Spirit, moving uh, prophets of old to write down what you wanted to declare to your people. And even to those who are not your people, they might be warned of the wrath to come on the day of judgment. Lord, we give thanks and pray that you would give to us ears to hear, hearts to believe and respond with faith, and obedience. Make your word fruitful, Lord, in our thinking, in our hearts, in our lives. To the glory of your name, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Up to now, the service is exactly as you see it in the bulletin, and it's all going to change now. Uh, Because I don't know what Matthew was going to, or Michael was going to say, so I can't preach his sermon. Uh, So we're going to read from Luke chapter 12. I think the sermon title I would have, you would see printed here, (laughs) uh, would be The Rich Fool. That's Luke chapter 12, if I can find it. I had the place marked. Now, I want you to know 
that I didn't sit down for a week and meditate on what this congregation really needs to be challenged with. I had just a day to decide. Uh, so, uh, I mean, when we read our Lord's words to the rich fool, uh, well, to the covetous man in his parable of the rich fool, if the shoe fits, repent. Uh, but uh, this, is, this is a good word from our Lord for all of us. And let's, uh, let's begin the reading at uh, verse 13 of Luke 12. It's breaking into a sequence of teachings from our Lord, but we'll talk about that momentarily. This is the word of the Lord. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. Yet God feeds them. How much more, of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive today in the field, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, or be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
Sell your possessions, give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Amen. <clears throat> now, twice in my life, I've had somebody stand up in a worship service and challenge me publicly. <laughs> it's an interesting experience. Once was a young woman who believed that she had a prophecy from the Holy Spirit, and uh, she was determined that we, she was going to deliver it to our congregation. <laughs> and the elders uh, took her by the arm and talked to her in the other room, and we continued in the service. And the other was a man who thought I denied the deity of Christ <clears throat> by talking about his true humanity. <clears throat> that was interesting. He was angry. Later he apologized, but... But that, you know, in 50 years of ministry, it's only happened to me twice. And here our Lord is teaching, very important teaching, about discipleship. Huge, huge, huge crowd around him. He's been at it all day. His disciples are around him. And somebody stands up and interrupts the whole thing by wanting him to resolve a, an inheritance dispute with his brother. Well, let's back up a little. Uh, the Bible as a whole, and Jesus in particular in the Gospels, says a great deal about money. Uh, what we are, I think, talks about money more than he talks about health. I, I've heard that. I didn't actually count. Uh, what are we to think of it? How are we to use it? And so on. According to God, is money evil? No. Uh, is wealth bad? No, not in itself. Is it sin to be rich? No. No, no, no. But the attitude of our heart is the key. What's in our heart regarding wealth? Is wealth to us, whatever wealth God has given us, is it a gift from God to be used for his glory? Or is it a false God we serve and love more than God himself? That's, that's a question, important question. <clears throat> and we see this uh, exposed, commented on in the parable of the rich fool. So the background is Jesus teaching a vast crowd all day, <clears throat> focusing on the cost of discipleship, calling people to be willing even to die for him, and then this interruption. So we're going to look at the appeal to Jesus. Uh, in my printed outline that you don't have before you, it says a covetous appeal to Jesus. Verse 13, the man interrupts. Imagine with uh, a crowd of, th of thousands, it, it says it was a huge crowd in the first verses. Uh, he's probably raising his voice, uh, standing up and maybe shouting, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Uh, <clears throat> now, under some circumstances, uh, that could be uh, certainly a valid request. Uh, it's the sort of thing 
uh, that Jews might bring to the rabbi of their synagogue uh, and ask for an adjudication with a, an inheritance dispute is something that could be brought to the elders of our church. Uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 chastises people in the congregation of Corinth uh, for taking their disputes to civil courts and says these things ought to be something you can settle within your own congregation. And, uh, <clears throat> and so it's not necessarily a wrong request, uh, but it's certainly the wrong setting and uh, kind of indicates that uh, the man's mind's been wandering away from Jesus' topic uh, to things that are more important to him. Uh, <clears throat> in a sense, he's honoring Jesus with the appeal. He looks to Jesus as a wise rabbi who would give the right answer. And Jesus does, but it's not the answer uh, that this man wants. What does Jesus see in this man in his question? He sees covetousness, uh, a heart sin. And why does Jesus see covetousness in the man? Well, first of all, Jesus knows all of us. He knows all of this, the crowd around him. He knows them through and through. Uh, but I think there's evidence that even we can see as we read this account. Uh, First of all, the man interrupts Jesus' serious teaching about discipleship, willingness to suffer for him in a call to trust and obey. He's, he interrupts Jesus with a concern about earthly inheritance. He wants the miracle rabbi to make his brother give him money. In other words, he fails to see the great significance of Jesus, the promised Messiah and learn eternal lessons from him. He wants to use Jesus for his selfish purposes, which may indeed be just. Are you ever guilty of this? Am I ever guilty of using or endeavoring to use Jesus, to use God for our own selfish ends? Well, it's something to search your heart about. Uh, <clears throat> But this is the reason for Jesus' rebuke. Why did Jesus come? It wasn't to resolve inheritance disputes. It was to redeem sinners and call them to be disciples of his and to live as citizens of the heavenly kingdom. The eternal Son of God stooped low, low, low to take our human nature and die for us. Don't try to use Jesus. But turn to him in faith and submission for who he is and who he must be to you, your Savior from sin and the Lord of your life. This man's heart is not set on God's kingdom, but on earthly gain. That's what's clear here. That's what Jesus sees, and we can see it too. And uh, so it's so easy for us to condemn that man <laughs> when we need uh, to take this word to heart and see uh, what would Jesus say to us about our heart attitude toward our wealth. Well, <clears throat> Jesus gives the man a brief answer. 
and then turns from the man to the whole crowd. Be on your guard against all covetousness. So our Lord takes this interruption as a teachable moment for the whole crowd that's there. And the way he says it to the whole crowd, be on your guard against all covetousness, means that he's speaking to us too. We can't point the finger at, at the covetous man. We have to look inside ourselves. And if we see covetousness, we need to repent. So we need some definitions here, a definition here. Uh, because the Greek word in the New Testament, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, translated covet in many places, is it, just kind of a neutral word that means desire. And sometimes it's, uh, it, it's desire that we ought to have. As when Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, the end of 12, yes, 1 Corinthians 12, the last verse, I think, covet earnestly the best gifts. And then he goes on to talk about love, genuine love. Uh, so context is all important. Uh, what... When does desire become the sin of coveting? What is covetousness? There's more than one way to go about defining it. Uh, desiring the things of this world is the source of our well-being, our happiness, our peace, our self-esteem. And loving the things of this world above God I think that's a fair definition. The Apostle Paul says that covetousness is idolatry. And calls upon the Corinthians and the Colossians. In both letters he uses, he says that to repent. If only I had X, then I would be happy and content. And I can't rest easy until I get. So I think there are some indicators that we can, uh, some litmus tests we can apply to ourselves regarding covetousness. <clears throat> uh, we are told repeatedly to be thankful people. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you. It doesn't say for everything give thanks, but in everything give thanks. This is God's will for you. But if I'm unable uh, to be grateful, if I'm unable to be content because God has withheld from me something I dearly desire. And I cannot thank him for what he's given me because I'm not looking at it. Then I think I need to repent of coveting. And similarly, if I've been seeking something, longing for something, praying for it, but a brother in the congregation, he gets it. And I'm so disturbed inside that I can't, I can't have good thoughts about that brother. I'm resentful. Well, I think I'm coveting. And I need to repent of that. We should be able to rejoice in God's gifts to our brothers and sisters, even if they don't come to us. We should be able to give thanks to God for his abounding grace to us in Christ. 
even if we lack many things that others have. Well, I think that's a definition for coveting that may be helpful. Uh, how can we guard against coveting? Well, we can ask the Holy Spirit uh, to reveal what's in our hearts. Uh, we can ask God to search us, search my heart, O oh Lord. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's Psalm 139. We live in a culture that is saturated with coveting. Now the, whole, the whole advertising industry, the multi-billion dollar industry, is predicated on nurturing uh, coveting and, uh, and a, wholesome, a wholesome view of coveting uh, on the part of, uh, of the population of our civilization. And I think to such a point that we often don't even see how tainted we are by that. Well, be on your guard against all covetousness. And then our Lord caps that admonition with the parable of the rich fool. <clears throat> well, you know the parable. Uh, the man's just had bumper harvests. Didn't have room in his barns for it all. And so he consults with his soul. Soul, what shall I do? And, well, I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. And I'm going to put everything I have in it. And then I can say, ah, now I can relax. I can live at ease. I can be happy. Uh, now, the rich man had a surface problem. What to do with his wealth? You might wish that you had that problem. <clears throat> Maybe, you know, for you, in God's good providence, uh, the sort of thing that the rich man desired has, has been pretty well, uh, you know, your barn's pretty full with your IRA, your investments, real estate, and stocks, and so on. And, uh, and financially speaking, you're able to rest easy. Well, we'll see about that. God and his providence has a way of bringing the economies down. Uh, and our Lord speaks uh, against uh, storing up treasure on earth, which can be depleted very quickly by thieves and moth and rust and so on. Uh, stock market crashes and uh, recessions and depressions. The man has that surface problem, what to do with his wealth, but beneath it he has very serious heart problems. Uh, okay, he's contemplating what to do with his bumper harvests. What does he not say? He does not say, Lord, thank you for blessing my labors, for blessing my land, for bestowing the bounty of these harvests upon me. How do you want me to use what you've given me, what you've given me for your honor and glory, for the good of people in need around me? He doesn't say that. That doesn't enter his mind in the parable. Does it enter your mind? You know, by the world's standards, the 
poorest among us is rich. <laughs> uh, and if we're not thanking God for it, we should hang our heads. Secondly, he trusts his wealth for security and happiness. There's nothing in his thoughts about God's promises and faithfulness. With all my stuff safe, safely stored, I can relax and enjoy myself, my life. And finally, we see his folly. God calls him a fool. We don't want to disagree with God. You never win that argument. In what does folly consist? Folly in the Bible is not stupidity. Some of the smartest people on the planet are fools. Folly is living in God's world, governed by God's law and God's providence, as if God does not matter and can be ignored. Proverbs says that wisdom, which is the opposite of folly. Proverbs 9, verse 10, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. That is, with taking the Lord seriously from the depths of our hearts, for his majesty is holiness, his justice is righteousness, his sovereignty, the fact that he is the governor of our own lives and all around us. That's where wisdom begins. But the fool says, Psalm 14, verse 1, there is no God. No, I don't think Psalm 14, verse 1, when it says, the fool says in his heart there is no God, is imagining a philosophical statement about the universe. I think the fool here is the person who is what you might call a practical atheist. He might go to the temple for some of the feasts and go through the motions of whatever God commanded Israelites to do, but he's not worried about God looking down on him, seeing his thoughts, seeing his behavior, holding him to accounts. He has no fear of God. The fool sees only this life as being important and does not consider eternity and the coming judgment of God. We live in a society full of fools. And woe to us if we join their ranks because we don't take this to heart. The rich man was indeed a fool because he stored up for this life and ignored eternity and the coming judgment of God. Well, even the present judgments of God. Don't be a fool. Now, we read at the end of the chapter, and it might seem at first that uh, it's not related, but I think it is. I think in the rest of the chapter, 
about not being anxious, about seeking first the kingdom of God, about selling what we have and giving to those in need, storing up treasure in heaven. I think here we have our Lord's application to us of the parable and of the warning to guard against all covetousness. I'll just go briefly through some points. First, our Lord admonishes us not to be anxious about our life, not to fret and worry and stew about the necessities of life. Now, I don't think that these words are intended to encourage Christians to stay home and just pray and never mind working. I don't think they're intended uh, to keep us from uh, making due anticipation and preparation for needs that may come down the road. Uh, And I say that not just because it's sensible, but because Proverbs is full of admonitions uh, to take thought for tomorrow and and, uh, make due uh, labor labor sufficiently to have what you're going to need. Uh, Stewing and fretting and lying awake at night and worrying about what might happen. Uh, I know there are people who are heavily invested in in stocks and so on. uh, Who, uh, they don't sleep at night. They don't sleep well at night uh, when the news is bad. uh, When the indicators are moving down and threatening. uh, The worry, the worry robs them of sleep. But Psalm 3 says the Lord gives his beloved sleep. And we are in the hands of God. Whatever happens in this world, whatever happens to your bank or your investments, you and I are in the hands of God for our eternal good. Not just for the next few years forever. So I think that's his first point. It's it's the one he spends the most time on, our Lord does. His second point, kind of wrapping that up, is all the nations seek after these things. Food, clothing, so on. Your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Now this is a matter of priority. And in Matthew's Gospel, which, in which much of this material is paral- paralleled in, in chapter 6 of Matthew, uh, he says, seek first the kingdom. So our Lord explicitly there makes it a matter. It's a priority question. Yeah, uh, get the training you need to get a decent job and support yourself and your family, young people. <laughs> so you're not living in mom's basement until you're 40. <laughs> Uh, yes, work, equip yourself, use the gifts God has given you to, to work and to care, support yourself and not, not have to be begging others. But what's first? And, and make decisions based on the first priority, which is the kingdom of God. Uh, how can I work, how can I live in such a way as to be an instrument of God 
in bringing his kingdom into this world more and more. We pray for that. Your kingdom come. And your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. The third point our Lord makes is give generously. He says, sell your possessions, give to the needy. Uh, okay, now he is talking to his disciples. That's stated plainly in verse 22. And they are going to be sent out <laughs> with just their staff in hand and their sandals on their feet and one coat to wear and no money in their purse to learn to trust God in doing the missionary work that they're going to be called to as apostles, as evangelists. Uh, so there is a particular, I think, a particular application to the disciples uh, that they need to learn to trust God and give themselves and give their belongings uh, to the poor. Uh, now, if you have a family uh, that depends upon your labors, uh, don't sell the house. <laughs> don't, don't liquidate everything in the bank and just give it all away because your first priority is your family. He who will not care for his own family has denied the faith that is worse than an infidel, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4. But I don't think any of us can be faulted for giving too generously to people. I know I can't. Uh, we are called to be generous people. Uh, Paul's words in Ephesians 4, verse 28, let the thief, the person who's been stealing, no longer steal. Let him work at what is good with his hands, so that what? He can feed himself and his family? That's not what it says so that he may have enough to give to those in need. That's what it says. The gospel wants to convert us, not from being selfish, miserly, money grubbers, like the rich fool, into hardworking, industrious Republicans who know how to save their money and look out for themselves. <laughs> The gospel wants to convert us and intends to convert us from being people who grasp and hold to being people who open their hand and open their heart and give where we see need. And as I say, I don't think any of us can be faulted for doing too much of that. But when you do that, you see, you're not in the grip of covetousness then. You're in the grip of seeing Jesus, who though he was rich, became poor for your sake, that by his poverty he might make you rich. Thank you, Lord. Help me to be like you more and more. And finally, in the same breath where he says, sell your possessions, give to the needy, he says, provide for yourselves money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. 
For where your treasure is, there will your heart also be. <clears throat> if the Fed somehow is not able to save the banks in this country, and we all find ourselves in bread lines, but we have treasure in heaven. Jesus, Jesus is our treasure. The promises of God sealed in his blood are our treasure. The gift of the Holy Spirit who moves us to be givers, not takers, and enables us to share with each other when there is need. There is treasure in heaven. And that's what we should set our hearts on. I'll close with the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. This is what he's instructing Timothy to teach people in the congregations he serves. First uh, Timothy chapter 6, I'm going to read 9 through uh, 9 and 10 and then 17, 18 and 19. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we cannot, we cannot begin to calculate the wealth which your Son gave up in coming into our world as the lowliest of men who could say the birds have their nests, the foxes have their dens, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He came to lay down his life to ransom us sinners. And so we pray, O oh Lord, that we may be more and more mindful of the abounding riches of your grace to us in Christ. That we may hold the wealth for which you give us a stewardship in this life, loosely in our hands, ready to lose if that is your providence, ready to give if there is a need. We pray, O oh Lord, that we may be gospel-driven and not fear-driven. We ask, O oh Lord, that 
you would grant these mercies that Christ might be seen in us by those we know around us. And we pray in his name.